Right, good morning. You can open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. As you do that, I want to ask a question to think that all of us will have an answer to. When in your life has your understanding of God conflicted with your experience of God? When has the Word of God seemed not to fit with the ways of God in your life? Let me just give a few examples of of what I mean. The, The Word of God tells us that God is powerful. God is all-powerful. And yet, haven't we experienced times when when that just does not seem true? You know, maybe uh, we believe in Him and look to Him to powerfully heal uh, a disease or, or a sickness, and He doesn't. Or, or maybe we look to Him to to help us with His power to conquer sin in our lives, and, and yet it doesn't seem like He's making that power accessible to us in some way. Maybe we trust in Him to, to use His power to save someone who is lost, and we, we believe that the gospel is the power of God to save, and yet and yet He doesn't save them. And and just seems in our experience that, that though God has said He's powerful, we're not seeing any evidence of it in our world, in our lives. Or maybe this is true. You you know God is wise. God's word says that He is He is wise, and in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And and you look to Him for guidance, and you pray, and you you take your time. You seek to lean not on your understanding, but on on the Lord, and you make a decision, and that decision ends up being a very bad decision in your life. It ends up not being what you thought it was. You end up regretting that decision. And you wonder, God, didn't I lean into you for wisdom? I, I, I thought you knew what would happen. And, and now we find ourselves in this situation, and, and it seems like God's wisdom has failed us in circumstances like this. I've been there. Or we know that God is good. We know He's good, and He does good to us as His children. And, and maybe we even have a category of understanding that, that, that sometimes God's goodness is, is veiled or, or, or we wait on it. But, but aren't there times when it just seems like God is allowing suffering to pile upon suffering upon suffering in your life? And you, you just wonder, God, if you are good, I mean, th- this just seems like too much. How much can someone take? Or you know that God is just and righteous, and and yet you see unrighteousness and injustice all around. Uh, Think about people who have spent decades working for justice and righteousness in our country in various ways, and yet God does not seem to intervene, does not seem to answer their prayers. The truth is that often in our walks with God, our understanding of God conflicts with our experience of God. What He says in His Word, we don't, it does not ring true always in our lives. We don't see it. We don't experience it the way that we would like, at least. You know, one of the most amazing and compelling things about God's Word is that God has spoken to us about these very tensions. 
God's Word does not just tell us, here's who God is, here's what He wants you to do, go. No, God's Word speaks to so much of our experiences in this life, and it speaks to these very questions. God's Word speaks to us in our own questioning of God. God ministers to us, and that's what the book of Habakkuk does for us. Started this series last week. It's called How Long, O Lord? And as we saw last week, this book is very unique. It's very unique. Rather than a typical prophetic book where God speaks a message to a prophet and then the prophet speaks that message to the people, Habakkuk really works the other way. Habakkuk, on behalf of God's righteous people, speaks to God his questions. He prays to the Lord, and he questions the Lord, and he wrestles with the Lord. And the book lets us in on this dialogue between God and his prophet. Some commentators call it a dialogue of protest, where Habakkuk comes and he, and he complains to the Lord, and he questions God, and he waits for an answer. And this book is God's way of instructing us to to bring that tension we feel between His Word and His way straight to Him. God says, "Don't, don't keep that to yourself. Come to me the way Habakkuk does in this book. And I will minister to you in it. Habakkuk's an example for us in this. Last week we looked at Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. We just began to began to see what this, what's happening in this book. And, and here's the background that we discovered in Habakkuk. Habakkuk is living in uh, the kingdom of Judah in around 610 B.C. or so, and he's, he's living under the reign of the evil king Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was a king that, that did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was a king that shed much innocent blood in the kingdom of Judah. We, we read a story last week about how this king uh, killed a prophet for speaking the message of God to him. And so Habakkuk, as a prophet, is, is experiencing this, and he's he's praying to God to intervene. He's praying to God to do something. He's praying to God to bring justice, to, to see what's happening. And, and you know what God's response is? Silence. God's not doing anything. Habakkuk says, why, why are you just idly sitting by while your people are being swallowed up. Why, why are you not doing anything when we're calling out to you? We believe that you are powerful. We believe that you are good. We believe that you are righteous. And yet, yet you're just sitting around, God, is what Habakkuk says, well, idly sitting by and looking at wrong and not doing anything to intervene. You're, uh, we're crying out help and you're not helping. We're crying out save us and you're not saving us. This is Habakkuk's first prayer that we looked at last week. And how much longer, O Lord, is this going to last before you intervene? It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of perseverance, but it's an honest prayer. It's a prayer that is questioning God for an answer. This morning we're going to see God's answer. We're going to see this dialogue progress in this book. We're going to start at chapter 1, verse 5, and go all the way to chapter 2, verse 1 this morning. And there's three sections in the text that we're going to see this morning. First, we're going to see the Lord's answer in verses 5 through 11. We're going to see a shocking response. A shocking response. And then in verses 12 through 17, we're going to see a second complaint arise from Habakkuk. So a shocking response, a second complaint and then in chapter 2, verse 1, we see a watchful waiting. A shocking response, a second complaint, and a watchful waiting. Let's look at chapter 1, 
Verse 5, a shocking response. Habakkuk said, how long? Why are you doing anything? What, when are you going to help us? When are you going to save us? Here's the Lord's shocking response. Chapter 1, verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So, Lord tells Habakkuk, I am doing something. You, you, you say I'm idly sitting by. That's not true, Habakkuk. I am doing a work. And I'm going to tell you it, but I want you to be prepared for this because it's not what you would expect. It, it's going to be hard to believe. It's going to, it's going to be shocking to you. What is the work that God is doing? What is the shocking work that God is preparing Habakkuk to hear? Look at verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation. This is the surprising and astounding work of God that's happening in the nations as Habakkuk prays. God says, I am raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Now, why is that so shocking? Well, for one, at this point in history, this the Babylonian empires, we know it really had not come into its strength yet. Assyria was still powerful. Egypt was still powerful. Uh, I was reading one commentator saying that, 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 that there's just there's really no signs of this, this empire rising. It might be like Greenland having world domination today. We're not really thinking about Greenland, are we? China, maybe, and, and, and North Korea, United States, but Greenland, you know, that's, that's kind of what it's like. It's like, where is this coming from? But Babylonia, but, but more than that, I think that what's shocking... What's shocking about it is that the Babylonians were an evil nation. And God says, I am raising them up. I am raising up this bitter and hasty nation. Look how he describes them. As as the text moves forward, God describes how bitter and hasty this nation is. They march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. So, 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 so they, they are moving from nation to nation and, and they are, they are just taking up residence. They are, they are moving people out and taking up their homes, taking up their cities, even though they didn't build them, they didn't work for them. They're, they're just taking them away from people. They're taking people's homes away from them. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth for themselves, which is another way of saying that, that they, they are their own measure of justice. If they think it's right, then it's right. It's, it's just to them. They, they, they don't, there's no external measure of justice. Then their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on, come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. And so they're, they're, this is a fearsome nation. They come and and they they annihilate these people. They they do violence in these cities. They come from violence, faces for they gather captives like sand. They, they, the Babylonians would, would take people away from the homeland back to Babylon as slaves. And, and, and these trains of slaves, they would take them back and, and they would uh, sometimes gouge out their eyes. They would, they would mistreat them. They would put them on public display. They would take the strongest ones back as slaves. They'd leave the weak to be part of this uh, devoured nation. At kings, they scoff at rulers. They laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. No one's stopping them. This is a game 
to them. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So this is who the Babylonians are. They're, they're guilty before God. They're evil. They're doing evil things. They're doing unjust things. They're guilty. They, they worship themselves. They worship their strength. But the shocking thing is, God says, I'm raising them up. I'm raising them up. This tells us something about the ways of God in this world that we need to see. The rise of nations, the rise of powers, the rise of authorities, even evil ones, falls within the scope of God's sovereignty. You know, in more recent history, things that maybe we can be more familiar with, this, this means that God raised up Nazi Germany. That wasn't outside of God's sovereignty. That was within His sovereignty. God, God raised up communist regimes in the 20th century. God raised up terrorist groups. God raised up ISIS. God is raising up every authority today, even in our country. Governors, senators, Supreme Court, justices, presidents. God is the one who raises them up. It's within the scope of His sovereignty. No matter how evil they may be. So this is, this is quite the response for Habakkuk to hear. God, there's injustice. There's, there's wickedness. Your, your, your people are being, being mistreated by the rulers in your kingdom. When are you going to save us? When are you going to do justice? And God says, here's what I'm doing. Look to the nations. I'm raising up this evil nation to come and judge you. Well, this answers Habakkuk's first complaint in a way. So God is going to judge the rulers in Judah. He is going to judge Jehoiakim and, and the evil and injustice he's committed, but he's going to do it by bringing an even more evil nation as the instrument of his judgment. And so, so this really doesn't, Habakkuk doesn't say, oh, okay, that makes, yeah, I think so. No, no, he, he goes deeper now into another complaint. That this, this does not sit well with him. And so let's look at his second complaint in verses 12 through 17. First he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. And so Habakkuk starts, as we saw last week, with faith. Habakkuk starts in a good place. He, he starts saying, God, you are the everlasting God. You, I believe that you are in control of these things. You are the holy God. You are, you are separate from the world. You are above all things. You are unstained from evil. You are my God. You are, it's a covenantal relationship with this God. He, he believes that the Lord is his God and therefore he says, we shall not die. Even as he thinks about what God just said and the Babylonians coming and, and executing this judgment on his people, Habakkuk knows we shall not die because you are everlasting, you are holy, you have bound yourself to us, and I believe we shall not die. You see, he displays faith here, confidence that God is who he says he is. Then he says, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So Habakkuk makes explicit what what God is doing here. He understands what's happening. God is going to use this evil Babylonian nation as an instrument of his discipline and judgment on the evil in Judah. That's what God's doing. He's raising up an evil nation to be the instrument of his judgment on 
Judah. This would happen just in a little while in the exile of Judah. The captivity in Babylon that God had said for centuries he would do. So this this really isn't a a surprise in a sense. God had said, if you turn away from the covenant, then I will will bring judgment. I will take you away from this land. And, and, And Habakkuk sees what God's doing. He understands what God's doing there. But he he has a problem still. And here's his problem. Look at verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So Habakkuk's problem is not just that God is going to judge wickedness in Judah. That's that's what he was praying for. His problem is that God's going to use a more wicked nation to do it. His problem is that, God, you are holy. You are pure. You can't even look on evil with approval. You, you, You punish sin. You punish evil. You punish injustice. How can you... Look on this evil of the, of the Babylonians, of the Chaldeans, and, and how can you tolerate that as they punish your people? He says the man more righteous than he, and, and in Habakkuk's mind, he, he knows that Judah has committed sin and is evil, but in comparison to the Babylonians, he says, they're so much worse than we are, God. How can you use this, this nation that is so much worse, so much more evil to punish our evil? What he's doing is he is is calling into question God's own moral integrity. He is questioning, if God is holy, how can he use evil to carry out his judgment on evil? He continues to really just pour himself out before the Lord in verses 14 through 17. He, he, he uses this extended metaphor of viewing himself and the, and the, and the nations as fish and the Babylonians as, as those who are going fishing. He says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, the Babylonians, brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So, so, so the picture is that, that, that the Babylonians are just going from nation to nation and they, they are just putting their net out like, like the nations are fish and they're, he's just pulling them up and, and cooking them and eating them and enjoying themselves and then going to the next nation and doing it again and again and again. And, and, and they, they are just having their way with all the nations. This isn't even just about Judah. This is all the nations are being subjected to this evil and God is, is looking on. God's letting it happen. Notice in verse 14, he says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea. You are ultimately responsible because you are sovereign. God's the one letting this happen. And so again, verse 17, he asks the question, is this going to go on forever? How long, oh Lord, are you going to let this evil continue? He is, he is posing to God, if you are who you say you are, 
yet we're in this situation that we are in, that those two things can't continue forever like that. There is, there is an irreconcilable tension here between God's declaration of holiness and goodness and righteousness and sovereignty and the evil and injustice that is going on in the world. And Habakkuk knows that, that something's got to give. And he's asking God, when? When will you act? You know, as we, as we move through this point of the message, what we're seeing is exactly what we saw last week, isn't it? We, we, we said last week that when we face a, a situation where our understanding of God and our experience of God conflicts, what do we need to do? We need to pray like Habakkuk prayed. Habakkuk's an example for us here. This is not wrong. What he's doing here, questioning God, is he, maybe on the very edge of going too far, but, but God is telling us in this book that, 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 that He wants this honesty from us. He wants us to pray to Him like this. Pray like Habakkuk prayed with faith. He starts with confidence. God, you, you are blessed and you are holy. I know we shall not die. I believe. I understand what you're doing, but, but my heart is not okay with this and it doesn't make sense. And, and I know that, that something needs to happen. Something needs to resolve here. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm questioning you, and I'm looking to you to give me an answer to do this. This is how we need to pray. And, and last week, that was the application. Pray like Habakkuk prayed. And I just want to ask you, how did you pray this week? H- have you taken that to heart yet? Are you praying to the Lord with honesty and with perseverance and with faith? Are you pouring out your heart to Him? He doesn't want you to say words. He doesn't want you to ignore the tensions you feel in your heart. He commands us to come to Him in truth and to come to Him and pour out our hearts this way. He already sees what we are thinking and feeling. And He calls us to this. And so I want to encourage you again. Pray like Habakkuk prayed. Whatever is going on in your life where your experience of God and your understanding of God are not matching. There is conflict. There is tension. Pray like Habakkuk prayed. Wrestle through that with the Lord in prayer. Now, I said last week that we we need to persevere in prayer. We should never stop praying. We, We need to continue to ask when it's the will of God. But there does come a point we shouldn't stop praying in the sense of bringing things to God, but there is a point where we need to stop talking. We need to stop talking. We need to start listening. And that leads to the last verse, chapter 2, verse 1, a watchful waiting. A watchful waiting. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk has prayed with perseverance about these things. Habakkuk has poured out his heart to the Lord with honesty. Habakkuk has posed his questions with boldness. And now he resolves to wait for the Lord to answer. He's done talking. He's said all he can say. He uses this imagery of a watchman on a tower. Uh, this, this image is common in the ancient Near East in Habakkuk's day, the, the cities were fortified with walls and they had watchmen on the towers and, and they had multiple functions. But one of the main ones that we see in other places in Scripture, and I think Habakkuk is referencing here, is that a watchman would, would look 
for a messenger. Watchmen would wait for news. They would wait for, for news of, 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 of news from the battle or news of an impending danger coming, and they would relay that news to the people. And so the, 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 there weren't soldiers in the sense they weren't, they weren't going to fight. They were going to receive and relay information. And Habakkuk is a representative of, of the people is praying this prayer, saying, God, you need to do something. This, this can't go on forever. And now he says, I'm going to station myself as a watchman, and I'm waiting for news. I'm waiting for a message. I'm waiting for God to give me revelation of his answer. He is waiting for revelation. He also says, I'm going to look out to see what he will say to me, and then what I will answer concerning my complaint. He, he, he knows. This is, this is significant, what, is, what Habakkuk is going through. He knows that, that, that how God answers him is going to require a response. Habakkuk has been questioning the very character of God. And he knows he will need to respond when God gives him an answer. He, 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 he can't stay where he is either. Something has to give in his own heart as well. Well, the rest of chapter 2, the rest of chapter 3 is going to give us the Lord's answer and Habakkuk's response. But today we're stopping right here at this watchtower. We're stopping here with Habakkuk waiting. Waiting on God. Waiting for an answer. Waiting for revelation. And this adds, a, this adds another wrinkle to what Habakkuk as a book is teaching us. We already said and we were reminded today that when we are in this tension between the ways of God and the Word of God, we need to pray like Habakkuk prayed. But here's what, here's the new wrinkle we see today. When our understanding of God conflicts with our experience of God, we need to wait like Habakkuk waited. We need to wait like Habakkuk waited. We need to pray like Habakkuk prayed. That's what we learned last week, reminded by today. But we also need to wait like he waited Let's just think about what that means. Again, he's, he's, he's given us this image of, of a watchman on a tower. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that waiting is not passive. Uh, a watchman on this tower, he wouldn't really be doing anything per se, but he would be. He, he's, not, he's not going to sleep. He's staying alert. He's looking out on the horizon. He's, he's searching diligently for, is someone coming? Is there a message coming? That is his job. And he stays there looking for that messenger until it comes. It's an active waiting. And, and that's the picture Habakkuk gives. It's a diligent waiting. It's, it's a searching. It's, it's an alertness in waiting. That's the kind of waiting that we are called to in these moments. We, we express our hearts to God. We pour out our hearts to Him. We bring our complaint. We pray with honesty and perseverance. And then we wait. We look. We search for God's answer. Now, there are some differences between how Habakkuk waited and how we need to wait today. We're in a very different time and place than Habakkuk was. Habakkuk was a prophet who was waiting on a new revelation from God. Remember, this book is the oracle that Habakkuk saw. He received new divine revelation. We don't wait for that, though. We're not waiting for a new revelation to come, are we? We have received the full revelation of God in the Word of God. And so, while Habakkuk waited for a new word from God, we wait in the Word of God. This is how we wait on God. We open up our Bibles. 
and we search the Scriptures. Wherever you read your Bible at your house, that's your watchtower, all right? That's where you station yourself and say, I'm going to search out the Scriptures and see what God has to say to me. You, you pray to Him, you pour out your heart to Him, you question Him, and then He says, I'm going to open up the Word of God, the revelation of God that He's given, and I'm going to look carefully for what He says. And listen, this, this book is so rich, so deep, so large. As I've been reading through more of the Bible again this year, I've, I've been starting like, I don't think I've ever read that before. And I know I have, but there's just things we don't even remember are there. And there's things that we've seen that are there that we've never seen in that way before. We'll never exhaust this book. And so we should never approach this as if, well, we know what the Bible says, and it's not enough. No, none of us know what the Bible says in totality. No one here has exhausted the truth of this book. There are things about God that we have not grasped yet, comprehended yet, and so we we pray to Him, we question Him, we honestly ask Him to intervene, and then we open up the Word and we study it, and we search it, and we pour over it with diligence as we wait for God to answer. And so I want to call you, don't just pray like Habakkuk prayed, but, but wait like He waited and diligently search the Scriptures. You know, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, that, that we are in a relationship with God. Christianity is a covenantal relationship. And, and part of what that entails is time. Part of what that entails is that we need to spend time. And I understand that our lives are busy. Kids wake up early. We've got jobs. We've got dishes. We've got chores. We've got responsibilities in our community. Yet, as Christians, we need to prioritize time in the Word. We need to. This is, this is who we are. We are people who believe this is the spoken revelation of God. And, and if we're going to wait like a watchman, we must set aside time to, to dig in and to search it out. And so if you don't have that, that, type, of, that type of time to, to, to really pour over the Scriptures in your weeks, you need to find a way. You need to, to drop something, do something, make a change somewhere. If you didn't get time with your wife, you wouldn't say, well, I'm too busy. You'd, you got to make a change. So make a change so you can wait in the Word of God. So, so that's one difference in how we wait from Habakkuk. He's waiting for a new revelation, but we're not, we're not doing that. We have the full revelation given, so we wait in the Word. But, but one more difference is that Habakkuk waited prior to the cross. Habakkuk was waiting on God prior to the Son of God coming to us. We wait in light of the cross. We must wait in light of the cross. I was just thinking this morning, what an unspeakable advantage we have over Habakkuk because of the cross. You know, the Lord said that he was going to do an astounding thing and Habakkuk say a shocking thing, a, a surprising thing. And what was that thing? He, he raised up an evil nation to be an instrument of righteous judgment on the sins of his people. That's, that's the shocking thing God did. I'm raising up an evil nation to execute my judgment on your sins. And that is shocking. How can, how can a sovereign holy God raise up an evil nation to carry out his judgment on our sins? That's shocking. It's, it's hard to understand. It led Habakkuk to this complaint. But you know what? The Lord has done something so much more astounding, so much more shocking than that in the gospel. 
He raised, in Habakkuk's day, he raised up an evil nation. In the gospel, he raises up his sinless son. He raised up this evil nation to execute his judgment on the sins of his people. In the gospel, he raised up his sinless son to bear the judgment for the sins of his people. Jesus takes it. He doesn't execute it. He, he takes it as he dies on the cross for our sins. This is an astounding thing. This is a shocking thing. And this reveals the character of God in such a clear way that even though we still have questions and we still have complaints and we still have times where we don't know what is God doing and how is He doing it, we cry out how long, we do that in light of the cross, in light of the fact that Jesus bore our judgment. We we see in Him bearing our judgment. The love of God is real and true. The mercy of God is real and true. The justice of God, the holiness of God, the wisdom of God is all on such perfect display in the cross that even though we don't understand what's going on, even though we see these tensions in our lives, we can say, how much more can we say? If Habakkuk said, we shall not die, how much more can we say, we shall not die because of the cross? That is our vantage point that Habakkuk didn't have. And so we wait in light of the cross. We wait in light of this astounding work that God raised up His sinless Son to bear the judgment for our sins. So church, this morning as we sing, as we respond, and as you go in your own week and, and wrestle with the Lord in prayer and in waiting over these things, do it in light of Jesus. What an advantage we have to be able to wait on the Lord in light of what He's done for us in Jesus. This gives us confidence. This gives us strength. This this helps us to know, even in darkest mysteries that we face in this world, that He is who He says He is, and we can trust Him and live by faith.